Uh, we are in our workbook today. Uh, so we are going to start talking uh, about Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verses 15, uh, through the rest of the chapter. Uh, it is my intention, and you guys all know my intentions and how we usually go with that, but it is my intention that we are going to get through the rest of the workbook here in this this Sunday and next Sunday. Uh, we should be able to because uh, uh, that is the uh, – uh, we should be able to. Uh, so hopefully that is the way it goes down. August 29th, uh, th that'll take us uh, August. Uh, today's the 8th. Next week's the 15th. Um, the 22nd, um, we'll do some cleanup of Ephesians chapter 1. The 29th, we will uh, we'll do a separate message, a different message as we do baptism in the park. And then uh, the first week in September, uh, we will have the new workbooks ready for you for chapter number two, and we'll start chapter number two. So that's kind of the plan going forward. Um, uh, if you got your Bibles, uh, you know you got a good thing. Amen. Uh, we're going to want you in uh, Ephesians chapter one. The other place I'm going to want you in your Bibles is Matthew 22. Matthew 22. So you're going to be in Ephesians one and Matthew uh, 22. Let's go ahead and start with uh, Ephesians chapter 1. I'm just going to go ahead and read the, uh, the passage that we're going to be discussing, and then uh, we'll start in the workbook and uh, go from there. So Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 15 is where we're going to start. Paul says, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, Cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Now, Father, we come before you, Lord. Uh, we are thankful for your word. We are thankful that uh, you have provided it for us, uh, that you have preserved it for us. And Lord, we are certainly thankful uh, that you have taught us how to pray. And so, Lord, I pray that uh, as we uh, look at the uh, this passage here today and next week, uh, that we would be attentive listeners, uh, that we would uh, uh, hear what it is that you're uh, uh, trying to tell us through your word, uh, that we would uh, not only uh, apply those things to our lives, but uh, learn to live them out in a practical way every day. Lord, we do love you and we thank you. Uh, we thankful. We are thankful that uh, uh, we have uh, good reports from those that have uh, uh, tested positive for C-19, that they're doing well and uh, doesn't seem as if uh, anything bad is happening with them. Uh, we pray that that would continue to be. Uh, we pray that uh, you would continue to watch over our church body, uh, keep us safe, uh, keep us healthy. Uh, and, Lord, we certainly will give you the glory for it 
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. So, starts off with, and I'm on page 43. It starts off with, uh, wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And so this is our fill-in here. Paul is praying that this unspeakable gift would be realized in you. And I hope that we all really uh, pay attention uh, to what was just said. This is an unspeakable gift that uh, uh, Paul is, is absolutely wanting us to have. And that it, we absolutely would have it realized in each and every one of us. Uh, he says, wherefore, uh, starting off the passage in 15, uh, and remember, this is coming off the heels of the nine spiritual blessings that we get from the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. That's what he's, he, he's, he's, he's talk, he, he had just talked to us about. And he says, wherefore, because of those promises, those, those uh, great uh, gifts that we were given from the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, Paul is now going to pray for their continued growth in them that we would continue to grow in those uh, blessings that we've been given. And, and he goes on to say that uh, we cease not. Uh, listen, uh, he, 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 he's, he's saying uh, and continuing to thank God for them night and day. And, of course, we know 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, uh, uh, Paul tells the Thessalonians there to pray without ceasing. So, in other words, these are things that Paul is identifying as non-negotiable for the body of Christ. These are things that must be what the body of Christ is seeking after. These are things that must be what each individual person is following after. Uh, I can't emphasize the importance of that. Uh, again, in your book, it says it might be important to pay attention to how Paul prayed, as he was, after all, the apostle to the Gentiles for this dispensation. Your doctrine, and that's your fill in the blank there, will affect your prayers. And the question is, is did you know that? I pause for emphasis. Did you know that your doctrine, how you understand your Bible, will, will let me emphasize that, not might, it will affect your prayer life. It will direct how you pray. Whatever it is you believe of God, whatever it is you believe of how God works, whatever it is you believe of the Bible, will direct how you pray. And uh, I can't overemphasize that enough. It is very, very important to grab onto that. Um, it's also important to emphasize that um, understanding and knowing what his will is also will affect your prayers. Of course it is. I, oftentimes, and, and we've made mention of this at church many times before, and I hope uh, you understand why we say these things. Uh, it's certainly not to... Um, 
to down anybody or or make anybody feel bad about their prayers and how they pray, pray and things like that. We're just trying to emphasize what the truth of the matter is. And oftentimes, because we have a misunderstanding of prayer, uh, we will emphasize self in prayer and, you know, the things we want in life, the things we're looking for, the things that make us feel good and and, and whatever it is, you know, we, we, we have a very, uh, uh, if we can use the terminology that we, we often say around uh, One Baptist Church, uh, we have a very Laodicean mentality about our prayers. And so what I hope happens here over the course of the next couple of weeks is that, number one, we learn how to properly pray. And number two, we learn the importance of prayer in our uh, daily lives and in our corporate settings. Uh, you know, obviously, the, the, the place where I say we can emphasize that uh, the most uh, is in church uh, when we're coming together uh, on Thursdays and Sundays. Uh, but also take note that we also uh, have uh, uh, Brother Jim has been doing all-night prayers, uh, and uh, 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 we've been doing that now for quite some time. Unfortunately, we're going to have to, uh, for, this, for, for the sake of safety for right now, we're going to put off our next one here for a little bit. Uh, but eventually we're going to get back to that. And, you know, I, I just want to overemphasize the importance of our church members making time to be there that night. And listen, don't just go pray with your brothers and sisters. You don't need to just listen to everybody's prayers. Your brothers and sisters in Christ, you can pray too. And you know, I can't overemphasize the importance of all that to our body, to anybody. Uh, these are things that are not just negotiable. They are necessities to a healthy body. And um, I would also overemphasize the importance of every individual understanding that. You know, we put out there three months in advance when our next prayer night's going to be. There's really no reason, in my humble opinion, for anybody to be able to come up with an excuse not to come because that's what it is. And I hope everybody hears what I'm saying. I hope nobody takes offense to that. I'm not trying to be mad or rude or anything like that. I'm just being honest. If you don't come to prayer night, you've made excuses why not to come because you can. There's always ways around everything. If you make it important, you'll be there. No one's asking you to be there for 12 hours. What we are asking is, is hey, carve out a, a, an hour. Come join your brothers and sisters and, and pray with them. Uh, what could honestly be uh, more important on a Friday night than that? And if you, if you want to have excuses, then, then, then you know, hey, you certainly uh, can do that. Uh, I just want you to know that whatever excuses you're making, it is affecting your body as, a, as, as fellow believers. And you need to understand that because it's true. Um, and again, that's not a common day, uh, you know, not, not me condemning anybody. It's not me uh, uh, coming down on anybody. Uh, it's just your pastor coming at you with a pastor's heart saying, hey, uh, if, if Brother Jim 
and, and, and oftentimes some other folks, Carrie included, can sit there for 12 hours and pray. Why can't you come and pray for an hour? Come on. There's, 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 there's something wrong if you cannot do that. So I hope you hear my heart on that. I hope you really do um, and, and understand that. Okay. With that being, with that being said, uh, we, we need to understand uh, letter C uh, on page 43. Faith without prayer is a buried faith, and it will die. We can have dead faith. James talks all about that uh, in his uh, second chapter uh, of his epistle. Prayer that is an abominable to him will not be heard. Uh, and and I, I want you to know that. Um, praying like a natural man will not be heard. So those are your two fill in the blanks there. Prayer that is abominable to him will not be heard. Praying like a natural man will not be heard. Let me give you a couple of verses. Uh, there's many I could give, but just let me give you a couple just to kind of show you that what I just said there is biblical. Proverbs 28, 9 says this. He that turns away his ear to hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. So there you go. Proverbs 28, 9. Uh, Isaiah 59.2, the prophet Isaiah says, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Uh, so uh, there's some good uh, uh, Old Testament uh, verses on the subject. Uh, but hey, pastor, that's Old Testament. Okay, well, how about Jesus? Do uh, you think uh, we can go there and see what he had to say about it? John 9, 31, Jesus says this, Now we know that God heareth not sinners. But if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, uh, and if you were in John chapter 9, verse 31 right now, I would underline that, and doeth his will, him he hears. So what is the requirement for God to hear your prayers? You're doing his will. Okay, now, 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 here, now, now, now understand that because remember what I just said about the whole praying thing. A lot of times we have a very Laodicean mentality about our prayers. Oh, Lord, I really want this house. Please help me get it. Okay, what does that have to do with his will? The answer is absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. God is not obligated to answer that prayer. Does that make sense? Because we have a problem with this now. We get all upset when we pray for things and God doesn't answer them. God's not obligated to answer any prayers that are outside of his will. That is as biblical as it can get. I promise you it's true. I know that's not our understanding of prayer today, but I'm just telling you, <laughs> that is as biblical as it can get. All right. Um, I could definitely keep on that, but let's move on. Letter D, he gives thanks for them and then makes a request, as, Paul, as we're going to see Paul do here. Uh, you know, Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now let me tell you how a Laodicean is going to view that verse those verses that we just read. 
So uh, if I let my request be known to God, then he's going to answer my request and he's going to give me all the things that I ask. So if I ask for God for financial uh, 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 position or uh, an added job or, or whatever, he's going to, he, he's, therefore, he's therefore required to answer my request. Uh, well, let me just assure you that that is incorrect. Uh, that is the wrong way to view what Paul's saying there, because that's not what Paul's saying there. Uh, what your requests are, are going to be requests that are made known according to his will. That is what he's talking about, because he says, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And, of course, the will would be and the mind of Christ is what should be emphasis around that prayer. See, we have such a habit of cutting things out that point the direction toward him and keep the direction on me. And that is just not the way uh, this is supposed to be. Uh, so filling in your blanks there, uh, page 43, what should your request be about? Should they be physical or spiritual? Should they be temporal or eternal? Hopefully you've been around this church long enough that you know how to answer those questions right now. Letter E, Paul's prayers and requests relate to the spiritual. Let me emphasize what I'm about to say. Every single time. Did everybody just, I'm pausing for effect. Did everybody hear what I just said? Every single time in the word of God, when Paul uh, is, is uh, 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 casting forth a prayer, it has been preserved in our Bible every single time that it was a spiritual emphasis and not a temporal flesh emphasis. In other words, he is praying for things of heaven, not of earth. Let me emphasize this one more time just to make sure we're clear. Every single time. Letter F, God answers prayers, but not the way most think. If you want to pray for physical things, go ahead. Nobody is saying that inherently wrong. Just understand that there is no guarantee that God will answer them. He is not bound to answer them. He has already supplied all your needs, and he reminds us that his grace is sufficient for you. He makes no promises that you will not die. He makes no promises that you will not suffer. He makes no promises that he will heal you. He makes no promises of giving you earthly treasures. He makes no promises of furthering your status here on earth. Knowing God's will is important to how we pray. Because it is when we are in his will that he is and will always answer. He is obliged to answer those, and he will answer them. Uh, to give you a little scriptural backing up of what I just said, First uh, John 5, 14 and 15 says this, And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything, I underline this right here. According to his will, 
he heareth us. That's 1 John 5, 14 and 15. Again, let me emphasize, this is the confidence we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he will hear us. If we ask anything according to his will, he will hear us. I hope you're starting to grab on to what our prayer life should look like and, and how God uh, emphasizes it in his book. Ephesians 1, 17 and 19 says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, so this is what Paul is now praying for. Uh, very, very important to grab onto this. He's saying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, notice how he puts in there, he's emphasizing the Father of glory, that he, he may give you the spirit of wisdom, and revelation of the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of the inheritance in the saints and what is the exceedingly greatness of his power to us, word who believe, according to the working of his mighty power. So there's, there's three major emphasis with two uh, minor emphasis in that passage. And so uh, I want to take some time and look at those. First, letter A, spirit of wisdom. Paul is praying that we would have a spirit of wisdom, that our life, our desires towards uh, God and his wisdom become something that we desire daily. 1 Corinthians one twenty four says, But unto them which are called, those Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Christ is the wisdom of God. He is the word of God. And where do we find wisdom in the word of God, right? Uh, 1 Corinthians 2.10 says, But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, the deep things of God. And, and he's talking about this wisdom of God. Colossians 1.9, Paul says, For this cause we also, since today we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Obviously, uh, Paul is putting an emphasis on uh, understanding the Lord's will and having wisdom of it. You know, one of the probably saddest issues in the church today uh, that uh, that we, we we need to make note of is that there are, are unfortunately many who do not know what his will is. And there are unfortunately many that because they don't know what his will is, will never really understand what and where his true wisdom can be found. Paul is emphasizing the importance of making sure you know this. Uh, because, again, remember what the book of Ephesians is all about. It's revealing the mystery of the dispensation that we are living in. Um, it's the revealing of the dispensation that uh, uh, 
gives us the understanding of what it means to be a Christian. So if we're going to call ourselves Christians, these are the things that should be, maybe it might even be said, must be said of us. I hope you understand that. I hope that you desire to understand that. If you don't, uh, because it really is that important. B, the revelation in the knowledge. Revelation is how men know things from God. It is a disclosure, discovery, a communication, a revealing. True knowledge comes from the true God, and it only comes from his true source, the Word of God. And of course, Paul says in Colossians 2, 3, in, in, in talking about Christ, Jesus, the Word of God, he says, in whom are hid all the treasures of the wisdom and knowledge. The Bible is the inspired uh, revelation of the written words of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Paul says in Colossians 1.25, Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God of God. And remember that dispensation had been hidden until now. I can't overemphasize the importance of Paul praying for the spirit of wisdom and the revelation of the knowledge of God. See that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened. Uh, in other words, that it would be comprehended. It would be illuminated, uh, if you will. That the light of God's word would shine in your mind to light up the darkness, to show you truth. How does this happen? It happens by faith. And of course, Romans ten seventeen says, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. 2 Timothy 2, 7, Paul says, Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. So it's not just a matter of you being able to read it. It's a matter of you being able to comprehend it and understand it. And I would even stop, not even stop there. I would go on to say what James says. Don't just being able, not just being able to read it, not just being able to understand it and comprehend it, but then applying it and doing it. This, this is true wisdom. We, we did a whole series where I spent a lot of time talking about knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. Uh, uh, back in the uh, earlier parts of our Ephesians study, uh, if you remember when we did that, if you weren't here during that time or if you missed those, I'd go back and listen to them because we did an addendum on that, and that's you know, there's a reason why I spent so much time talking about that, because all of that is going to apply now. These are things that Paul is, is these are non-negotiables. And the reason why I say they're non-negotiables is because he goes on and he emphasizes these things in just about every one of his church epistles. You go to Colossians, if you go to Philippians, uh, if you go to uh, uh, Romans, 
um, and so forth, you're going to see he he always emphasizes these same exact things in his prayers for those church bodies. Uh, so certainly uh, these are important. First Timothy 2.4 says that God has all men saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. And remember, that is the will of God that all men be saved and come unto the knowledge of truth. First Corinthians 2.12 and 13 says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might, that we might know. Okay, so not, the, not so that we would be in darkness about these things, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Those things that are freely given to us of God, we're talking about them in Ephesians. It was those nine blessings. Y'all with me on all that? Connect the dots. Don't miss the point. That's what he's talking about. He says, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Uh, again, uh, these are all uh, in, in, important uh, components to our spiritual life and to what uh, those nine blessings provide for us. Uh, the knowledge uh, that has shined in our hearts, letter D. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna skip Second Timothy one for a moment because I'm gonna come back to that. But but notice in Second Corinthians four four, Paul says this. That the God of this world, that's the little g, Satan, has blinded our hearts and blinded our minds to them which believe not. Uh, lest the, the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, uh, who by the way is the image of God, would shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus. For God who commanded the light to shine out of the darkness has shined in our hearts. To give the light of knowledge, you hear that? To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. One of the biggest things we can gain from knowledge is understanding that the glory of God is the purpose of all of this. And if we don't grab that, uh, we could definitely be uh, missing something. So what is opposite of this? Well, in Ephesians 4.18, Paul says we can have our understanding darkened. We can be alienated, alienated from the life of God through ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of our hearts. This is the opposite of not having a, a spiritual understanding, not having knowledge and wisdom. Um Ephesians 5.14, Paul goes on to say, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. It's not that people don't have the Bible or can't read it. It's they don't believe it. Because their heart is darkened. The devil is attacking God's word and his doctrines. To combat this, it is quite simple. Know what the Bible says, which is the light, for your path. The mystery revealed in Paul is how that immortality, life, and light can be given to a dark world to sinners who didn't deserve it. And they are given a position above every power in the universe through Jesus Christ, which brings glory to God. Man, I would underline that statement right there 
because it is absolutely 100% important that you get that. The mystery revealed in this book of Ephesians is how that immortality, life, and light can be given. That we don't deserve it. And that we've been given a position above every power in the universe through Christ to bring God his maximum glory. I mean, if I had a microphone right now, I could drop it and we could call this the day. Because that is, that's it right there, man. That is what this is all about. This is what Paul is emphasizing in chapter number one of Ephesians. Uh, by the way, do you know what God has given to you as a gift to help guide you into understanding these things? Better make sure the one you call yours is, a, do, is doing exactly that. Colossians 1.9 says this, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and desire that you be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Uh, that's pretty much what we've just been talking about in Ephesians. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Jeremiah 3.15 says, I'll give you pastors according to my heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. And I would emphasize that if your pastor or pastors are not doing that, according to the will of God, then you need to get out of that church and find a church that is, including ours. Exodus 31.3, And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, in wisdom and in understanding and knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship, talking about uh, uh, that tabernacle uh, and how God filled this man to build those things within the tabernacle, giving him all the necessary tools to be the workmanship that he was created to be. Hello. <laughs> now do you understand what Paul's talking about in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10? We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. God has given us all the tools by his grace so that we can do what it is. Now, hear what I'm about to say, that we've been called to do. Let me emphasize that again. That we've been called to do. Hang on to that word called. We're going to talk about that here in a minute. Letter E, that ye may know. Three things that we are to set our affections upon. Uh, of course, that brings to mind Colossians 3, 1 and 2. Two saying, set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. Um, and after Cheyenne stops getting mauled by her dog, we'll continue. Um, listen, set your affections on things above, not things of the earth. I mean, I don't know how else to make it as point blank as Paul is making it. We are not to set our affections on things of the earth. Okay, so now watch this, because the three things that he's about to emphasize and that, that, that we are to set our affections on, uh, 
are, are important. Number one, the Father. Right? Remember, we've talked about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, the three blessings of each. Now watch. The Father, that we may know the hope of his calling. First Corinthians 2, 1-2 says, Under the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both there and ours. Uh, uh, Ephesians 4.1, I therefore the prison of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye have been called. Ephesians 4.4, 4, there is one body, one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. Colossians 3.15, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body, and be thankful. I'm going to put this calling on hold for a second because I want to talk about it a little bit more uh, here to close our message. So let me just move on to number two, the son, the riches of his inheritances. Uh, Ephesians 2, Paul says this, even when we were dead in trespasses, and, or even when we were dead in sins, excuse me, has quickened, made us alive together in Christ. By grace are you saved. And has raised us up together, made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus, that the Gentiles, Ephesians 3, 6, would be fellow heirs and of the same body and of partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Uh, listen, we have been given riches of his inheritance, and how did we get those riches? By the three blessings that were provided to us by the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, what Paul's now doing is he's emphasizing the three blessings of the Father, the hope of his calling, the three blessings of the Son, the riches of his inheritances that we get when we are, y'all know what I'm about to say now, right? In Christ, okay? You don't get these if you're not in Christ. Okay, so that's the key. And then, of course, the third one, the three blessings of the Spirit, is the exceeding greatness of his power. And that's on page 47 of your workbook. The exceeding greatness of his power. And in case you missed uh, the son, it was the riches of inheritances. Um, so, uh, again, when we got saved, Paul tells us the spirit of him that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, uh, and he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies, make it alive, by his spirit that dwells in you. Uh, uh, the same power that raised Jesus from the grave is the same power that lives in us. Uh, Paul says to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, but we have this treasure in earth, earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. He says in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceedingly eternal weight of glory. He's not focusing on the physical. There is much more in the spiritual. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I just cannot overemphasize how you just cannot come to Paul's epistles and get any idea 
that Paul had any emphasis on the physical at all. He just didn't. He's constantly focusing us on eternal. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, it says, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And that's coming off of the heels of what most people will say. Well, didn't Paul pray for the thorn in his flesh to be removed? Well, okay, yes, he did. But do you understand what the thorn in his flesh was? It was not a physical infirmity. He was being buffeted by Satan. That would be a spiritual infirmity. That was the problem. That's what he was praying for. I, I digress. The same power that raised Jesus from the grave, you're filling the blank there, is, lives in us. Uh, hopefully Chris will... Uh, be feeling better for next Sunday, and maybe we can even sing that song uh, because I think it's appropriate. It is not death we glory in. It's not death we are scared of. It is the resurrection power that we glory in. And when we die, we get all things that he has, that he has promised us. Brother Mark Trotter, uh, Brother Gary Neese knows this all too well today. Brother Gary Neese is sitting with us today in heavenly places. He is having church with us today. I am thankful to know and be assured of that. Uh, you should be as well. Uh, just because uh, a brother or sister is passed on into glory uh, does not mean they are still not part of our body, because they are. And that is an, an assurance that we can rest upon. The prayer then is to increase in love, joy, hope, and the peace of God. And uh, we know that this peace passes all understanding. And it shall keep our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. This assurance is something that we have. All right, with that being said, I'm done with the notebook. Um, I'm going to finish today's message um, uh, from um, um, some notes I took to, to, that I wanted to just to emphasize here. Uh, so if you got your pen, if you got your pen, you might want to take some notes down, and whatnot. Uh, but let's go ahead and finish up here, uh, just so everyone knows. So we're all on the same page. Uh, I will be done by twelve. So we got about uh, thirty-five minutes here. What was the last blank? Um, let me look again. The last blank was. And when we die, we get all things that he has promised us. All right, good. All right. So I want to take a, uh, a, a an overview look of uh, what we're looking at here in this passage. Um, so understand this. We were prepared by the will of the Father, chosen in Christ, adopted as sons, accepted in Christ. That would be verse 4 through 6. Uh, we were prepared by the work of the Son. That was our redemption, uh, that he abounded unto us all wisdom and prudence, and he gave us an inheritance. Uh, again, you're seeing these things in this, in, in this prayer. And then we were prepared by the witness of the Holy Ghost, uh, our, our Holy Spirit. He, he revealed to us. He sealed us, and he gave us the earnest of our inheritance. These three form the basis 
of what Paul's praying about and uh, 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 where Paul is, is wanting us to know what God has given to us. He has given us a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. He's given us the ability to have our eyes and understanding to be enlightened. He wants us to know the hope of his calling so that we would know the riches of the glory of his inheritance and so that we would know the greatness of his power to us. Uh, I think it was Brother Jim out and, and, and myself were talking about this on Wednesday in discipleship. Uh, listen, what I want you to understand and what you need to emphasize and what Paul is saying here is the same power that raised Jesus from the grave, the same power that set Jesus at the right hand of the Father, the same power that is above all principalities and powers and dominions and mights, the same power that has put all things under his feet, the same power that gave him to be head over all things. It is the same power that lives inside of you and me if we are his. That's what Paul's emphasizing here. In other words, then why are you acting like the sinner you were and not the saints you've been called to be? Pausing for emphasis. Because this is important. What is this hope of his calling? What is it? First thing I want to make note of, Israel had a calling and a hope. But they were but their calling and hope was connected with a land and a people here on earth who were waiting for the coming of a Messiah king to sit on a throne of David. This is not our calling, this is not our hope. Pausing to emphasize. Because if you believe that the church has replaced Israel, then that is your hope and calling. Pausing to emphasize. I hope you all understand what I'm saying right now. Because this is absolutely critical to understand. This is why teaching replacement theology or that the church has, been, has replaced Israel is so inherently doctrinally wrong it is why jesus says not once but twice in uh his letters to the seven churches in revelation that those that say that they are jews and they are not is the synagogue of satan because one of the major problems that you're going to run into if you think you have replaced israel is understanding what is the hope of your calling you are not going to understand what is your purpose. You are not going to understand what is the kingdom of God and the purpose of your placement in the kingdom of God when you called on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and you got placed in Christ. Man, if I could amen the preacher right now, I would. Because I'm, what I'm telling you right now is, this is it, man. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is what separates biblical Christianity to Laodicean Christianity. Here it is, right here. Our calling and hope was hidden 
since the world began. So Israel could not have known our hope and calling. And if Israel could not have hope, known our hope and calling, then there's no way we could have replaced them because God would have never changed the program. Y'all, pausing to emphasize, y'all understand that? It's an impossibility. This is why this book of Ephesians is so very important to understand, to really grab on to what Paul is trying to tell us. Listen, uh, uh, we find hope and calling linked together in Ephesians chapter 4, in verse number 4, where Paul says, there's one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. The hope is found in Colossians 1.27. You ready? To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this. Here's some knowledge. Here's some understanding. Remember Paul was praying that we would know this stuff? That we would be made, that it would be made known the riches of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen. You want to know the hope of his calling? Well, number one is Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Israel never had that hope. They never could have that hope. They weren't looking for a Messiah in them. They were looking for a Messiah on the throne of the King of David. We are looking for a King that sits on the throne of our hearts. Those are two different things. Very, very vastly different things. And if you are a Christian, you have that hope of glory in you. I want to emphasize again, then why are you acting like the sinner you once were and not acting like the saint you have been called to be. Again, dropping the mic. So where our hope is marks the place where our calling is. Right? Right? I hope people are shaking their heads. Right? Okay. So what are we called to be in Scripture? Well, Romans 1.7 says, To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. We, Paul's praying that we would know the hope of his calling. I'm trying to explain to you what the hope of his calling is because it is the ultimate wrap-up of this whole book of Ephesians. Understanding that is the key to unlocking what being a Christian really means. So do not underestimate what we're talking about right now. I can't overestimate the importance of it. We are called to be saints. 1 Corinthians 1-2, Paul again says, Under the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Pausing for effect. Called to be sanctified. Saints. This is not a negotiable action for a Christian. This is what you've been called to do. Number two, 
you have been called under the fellowship of his son, Christ Jesus. Called unto the fellowship of his son. 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, God is faithful by whom you were called unto the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. I will send these notes to Justin afterwards, and I'll have him put them up on the, uh, the uh, website for everybody, just so you know, so that way you're not frantically trying to take notes if you are, and you're going, man, slow down, I'm trying to keep up. Uh, I have notes right here. You probably can't see them. No, you can't. They're there, I promise you. I don't know why they're getting hit there. I will make sure they're on the website for you uh, in the next day or so. Um, so number one, number one, we were called to be saints. Number two, we were called under the fellowship of his son. Uh, I would emphasize right now uh, 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 Philippians 3. Philippians 3, where Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. That's why you got to pick up your cross daily. That's why you got a Galatians 2.20 it. Okay? Because to be into the fellowship of Christ, you have to know you need to die to yourself to do what it is you've been called to do. Are dots connecting right now? I hope they are. Number three, we've been called to be servants. 1 Corinthians 7.22 says, For he that is called in the Lord, being a servant, is the Lord's freeman. Likewise, also he that is called, being free, is Christ's servant. And I would overemphasize 1 Corinthians 4.1.2 right now, 4.1 and 2, that says it is required of a servant to be found faithful. Pausing for effect. Number four, we have been called unto liberty. Now, now, now hear what I'm about to say, this is very important. We have been called unto liberty from the bondage of sin, not to continue in sin. You're right, I said? I hope so. Many a Christian does not understand this. Many a Christian does not live their lives according to this. But if we want the absolute biblical precedence to it, let me repeat what I said. We have been called under liberty from the bondage of sin, not to continue in sin. Galatians 5.13 says, For brethren, you have been called unto liberty, liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. Pausing to emphasize. First Thessalonians uh, 4, 7. For God hath not called us unto uncleanliness, but unto holiness. First Peter 1 15. But as he which is holy, but as he which hath called you is holy. Y'all hearing this, man? But as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. And, of course, that conversation is the conversation 
of your life. All, all manner. That's what you've been called to. First Peter 2, 9, we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I could sit here now for the next two hours giving you more verses, but I hope the point has been made. You have been called to a holy calling. We are called to be saints. We are called under the fellowship of his son, Christ Jesus. We have been called to be servants and we have been called unto liberty, but don't let that liberty be a uh, occasion for the flesh. Romans 8.30, Paul says, moreover, whom he did predestinate, remember that Ephesians 1, 4, 5, and 6 area, uh, them also he called. And whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, he also glorified. Your calling has everything to do with what Paul, uh, not Paul, sorry, Claude, you're not Paul. It has everything to do with what Claude was talking about on Thursday night. Justification, sanctification, glorification. Your calling has everything to do with all three phases of your walk in Christ. Not just justification, but sanctification. And not just sanctification, but glorification. And I would highly recommend that you understand your inheritances which Paul's talking about here in Ephesians chapter number one, is absolutely dependent on how you fulfill your calling. Pausing for effect. Okay, if you don't believe what I'm just what I just said, let me give you an example here, right from the Lord's mouth himself. I asked you to uh, have Matthew 22 ready. And although uh, the parable is talking about heaven, don't text me later and say, wait a minute, Daddy, you talk about the kingdom of heaven. Remember, all scripture is profitable. The, the inherent description of what he's saying here is absolutely applicable to the church. And I think you're going to understand that as I start reading it. Watch. The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, which made a marriage for his son. Hello? Marriage for his son. Who, who, who's the one that's the bride of Christ? Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1 and 2. Huh? Who's that? What are we doing there, Jim? I'm confused. Oh, okay. We're in, we're in Matthew 22. Okay, verse number 2. All right. Now watch, and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Pausing for effect. Again, he sent forth other servants, saying to them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatlings are 
all the things already come under the marriage. They made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm, one to his merchandise, and the remnant took his servants and treated them spitefully and slew them. They were more, more, what was more important to them was their earthly things. You know, their farm, their merchandise, the things that were their treasures. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth. Wow, that don't sound good. And he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Then saith he to his servants, the wedding is ready. Now, do you note what he do, was just mentioning there is what's going to take place during the tribulation period, at the end of the tribulation period, while the marriage supper of the Lamb is taking place in heaven. Are y'all getting this, man? This is, this is good stuff right here. But they which were bidden were not worthy. Wow. You mean there are people that are going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb that are not worthy? Hmm. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as you shall find, bid to the marriage. So those servants went out unto the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see their guest, he saw there a man which had not seen, had not on a wedding garment, and he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servant, Bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into other darkness. Does that mean he lost his salvation? No. No. That means he was ashamed. And he was cast out of what could have been. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. First uh, Corinthians 3, and he shall suffer loss. Y'all getting this, man? Y'all seeing the tie here to the, 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 the tribulation period of what's going on down on the earth with the marriage supper of the Lamb, what's going on in heaven, with what takes place and what, takes, uh, what, what did take place in the judgment seat of Christ? Now watch verse 14. Christian, pay attention. For many are called. A few are chosen. He said, well, wait a minute. What does that mean? Does that mean I lose my salvation? No. What that means is many are called to put on that wedding garment. Few are chosen to actually put it on. So are you going to be naked that day? Are you going to suffer loss? Are you going to not have crowns to cast before your king? Or are you going to be the called, chosen ones. Pausing for emphasis. Now you know why I say those things when I say them. I have biblical evidence to back up why I'm saying it. Now, Paul says in 2 Timothy 1.9, that the Lord Jesus Christ has saved us and called us with a holy calling, 
not according to our works, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, but according to his own purpose and grace, Ephesians 2, 10, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. What true predestination really is. What is his purpose? We know that because Paul wraps it up in Ephesians 3.21 when he tells us what the purpose is. It's to glorify God. So putting the pieces of the puzzle together now, folks, how do we glorify God? By making sons of God. And how do we do that? By win, build, send. You know what's interesting is in the Old Testament, uh, when when there was uh, when the when the Israelites were in the wilderness, and they were getting ready to go to war, there would be a uh, blowing of trumpets to call the assembly together. Uh, now, certainly, there is uh, some very doctrinal uh, applications to that in understanding the rapture of the church. So, I don't want to. Uh, undermine that, but I do want to get some a little bit of a practical point to that. Um, you know, Numbers ten two says, "Make thee two trumpets of silver; of whole peace shalt thou make them, that thou mayst usest them for the calling of the assembly and for the journeying of their camps." Uh, listen, we are called to assemble. Hence the importance of being in church uh, on uh, Sunday mornings uh, uh, and, 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 and even Thursday nights. We are called to assemble. But, but, but we are not just called to assemble just to play church. We are called to assemble for a very important purpose. We're at war. We are, at, we are in a battle. And it's a war you can't see. It's a spiritual war for the souls of men. Now do you understand why Paul wrote what he wrote in Ephesians chapter 6? When he talks about the whole armor of God? Listen, all this is tying together. Paul is making a very important case. We are called for a purpose. We are called for a purpose. By his grace, not according to our works. We were called uh, 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 with a holy calling. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7.20, Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Ephesians 4.1, Paul says, I, therefore the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you were called. Philippians 3.14, Paul says, I press toward the mark for the prize, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. 2 Thessalonians 1.11, Paul says, Wherefore also we pray always for you, that our God will count you worthy of this calling to fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. Finally, 2 Peter 1.10. You know 2 Peter 1. The seven levels of spiritual growth. Remember that? Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence 
to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. I don't know that I can honestly sit here and overemphasize the importance of understanding this calling. We've been called to be saints. We've been called under the fellowship of his son, Christ Jesus. We've been called to be his servants. We've been called unto liberty. Paul is praying that we would know, have knowledge and understanding of this calling. That we would understand that that power that did all those things in Christ is living in you so that you can accomplish the hope of our calling so that your vocation would be done as it is appropriated. That, 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 that you would understand and you would press toward that mark that you would never stop pressing toward the mark of that high calling because when it's all said and done, Many are called, few are chosen. Now you may call yourself a Christian this morning and I pray that you are. But let me just say this, and let me turn this a little bit practical for you. If you're not living in a life that is emphasizing the hope of his calling, Man, you're missing out on what being a Christian is really all about. Uh, this is it. This is where the rubber meets the road. Paul spent a whole chapter making the point as clear as he can. And this is just leading us into what he's about to say in chapter 2 and 3, which is going to make the point even more abundantly clear, where he wraps it up in chapter number 3, was saying that the purpose of all this is the glory of God, and then brings us into chapter 4, four where he starts talking about the practical side of all this. And again, he starts right off by saying, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you were called. I hope that was a help to you this morning. Um, I wish we were in person because I think this is an important message. They all are, but, um, you know, this one um, really emphasizes uh, some very important aspects of the Christian life. I would highly encourage you uh, to go back and listen to it again if you need to. Um, I will make sure these notes are up for you uh, the next couple of days. I will email them to just as soon as we're done. Uh, and then, uh, uh, as soon as he gets a chance, he can put them up for you. Um, you know, living a day and age, man, where especially with everything that's going on where fear is, 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 is ruling the day and is keeping us uh, from doing 
all that we've been called to do. Now, let me just say this. That's just our excuse today because yesterday we had an excuse. Last year we had an excuse. Five years ago we had an excuse. That's just our excuse for today. And tomorrow we'll have an excuse if we don't stop going in the direction we're going. We have been called to do something. Your salvation is not about you. It never was. It never will be. Your ability to be all that you've been called to be is either exercised by walking in the spirit or not if you continue to walk in the flesh. I want to make sure I'm clear by saying this is not a salvation or lack of salvation message. Uh, in other words, if you're not doing these things, it doesn't mean you're not saved. I, I'm not saying that. You could be grieving the spirit. Uh, I would say if you're not doing these things, I do think it's a cause of concern. Um, but what this is, is a call uh, to be the Christians that we are meant to be. We have a purpose. We have uh, a job to do. Ephesians was not written to pastors. Ephesians was written to everybody. You call yourself a Christian, you have a vocation. Now walk worthy of that vocation. Because if you don't walk worthy of it, there is consequences. Again, those consequences are not loss of salvation. But what those consequences are is a loss of inheritances, a loss of rewards, and potentially a loss of the wedding gown, i.e. Proverbs 31. I certainly don't want anybody in this church to ever have to uh, deal with that on the day of judgment. So know the hope of your calling. It's not very difficult. And do what you've been called. Stop acting like the sinner you were. Start acting like the saint you are. Understand and know the fellowship that you have with the Lord Jesus Christ. Know that it's not just you know him, but to be in fellowship with somebody, he needs to know you too. Be his servant. If you call him Lord, do the things that he's called you to do. Right? Why call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? And know that your liberty that you have in Christ is not giving you occasion for the flesh where you can continue in sin. No, you've been called to be holy. So be holy as he is holy. By doing these things, you will fulfill the purpose that you have been meant to do. And that is to win people to Christ, to build them up in their faith and send them out to do the same thing. All right, church, that's pretty much all I have today. I do love y'all, man, and uh, I do appreciate all of you. Um, yeah, Peyton, you're right. Choose this day who you will serve. Amen. <laughs>